Hello and welcome to another episode of Fourth Wall the Podcast. My name is Elena Newell and today we're talking with Aaron J. Albano. Aaron is so freaking cool, guys. nine Broadway shows on his belt okay not just Broadway but we're talking tours we're talking TV we're talking film you name it he does it okay and he is just super cool and fun and today we kind of talk about what it means to be a Filipino American in this industry what that has meant for him not only as an artist but as a human navigating this country and we kind of just talk about um, the plight or the double-edged sword of BIPOC artists when it comes to um, navigating an industry that was not intended for us, for us to exist in and not only doing that uh, but playing the game versus fighting to be what we know we can be and it was just a really cool conversation uh, word of the day is nuance because we had discovered that's just kind of the word of 2020 uh, and it was really good to just talk and just really hear from these people who have been constantly told to quiet down um I think that's so that's been the most rewarding part of fourth wall is to elevate these voices who have been silenced for so long and we are just now hitting an age where not only are we not being silenced anymore we're being amplified and it's so empowering and it's so magical and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode right now I am here with Aaron J. Albano. Am I saying that right? Please. Yeah, great. Awesome. Yes. Good work. Awesome. Aaron, tell the people just a little bit about you, what you've been doing, and how you've been holding up to uh, in the corona season. <laughs> how have any of us been holding up in the corona season? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm Aaron. I live in New York, New York. Uh, I live in Sunnyside, New York. Um I'm originally from California. Um, I'm a Filipino American. Um, and in this time, I've been hanging out with my pup. He's lying down sort of right there. Well, not in, and very <laughs> disinterested in all of the Zooms that I have. Yeah, that's a move. Mm-hmm. Yaren, you have done so much in your career. You've done, <laughs> what are we at, nine Broadway shows? Is that Thank right? You, yeah. Oh yes. my goodness! Mm-hmm. And you've done not only that, you're doing TV, you're doing film, you're doing all these things. Like, when did you first realize, hey, performing is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Um, it was, I mean, it was early, but it was late. I mean, that's a weird answer. But <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'd say where it became, where, where it left the hobby phase and more into the, oh, I can do this for the rest of my life phase was sort of, I think, in high school. Mm -hmm. Because up until then, growing up in California, I definitely, we were so just, because I'm a little older in the tooth. um, 
we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have online was new. We were dialing into that wonderful internet. Um, and so the Broadway world of New York City was sort of very separate from mm -hmm. San Jose, California. So I didn't really... Shows were something that I just did um, for fun. And I and the, the extent of my theater knowledge extended to whatever shows we were doing the next season at my children's theater. Um, right. I think right around when I was in high school and sort of deciding what I wanted to do for college, that's when it became a, okay, now it's time to figure out what I want to do for the rest of my life. Do I, and this has been wonderful and fun. Is this also lucrative? And is this also mm. a path for adulthood? And that's when the real research started happening. I think that's when the awareness for the outside world started happening. Um, and then, yeah. And so then I auditioned for a bunch of schools um, all around the country, just like the rest of us do. <laughs> um, and I went to school and, and I was accepted and went to school in Cincinnati, um, yeah. which was far, far away from yeah. <laughs> um, California um, in proximity and culture. Um, mm. And yeah. And then from there, I moved straight to New York and have been very blessed ever since. Yes. So talking about differences in culture, um, this episode oh, is kind oh, of oh, about uh, tokenism and your experience, well, <clears throat> your experience with discrimination in theater and in all the industries you've been working in. Um, can you think of like the first time you were aware that, aware of that you were being tokenized or aware like, oh, I'm, I might not be placed in this position necessarily on my merit, but possibly on other factors that I can't control? Oh, interesting. Um, it's actually a fascinating, like, concept. In, it's one of those things where, like, you know it existed and you see it in hindsight, mm -hmm. but at the time you maybe weren't aware of it. Like, right. because, you know, all of these conversations are sort of happening in this mm -hmm. time with this elevation. And so what's nice is that we're having this big conversation in the Broadway community, and but also... Like, my children's theater is having this conversation. Mm. And my college is having this conversation. Both places of which, more so my children's theater than my college. But I was unaware that a lot of this was happening and a lot of, and the effects that it was having on me until I mm. really started looking back and, like, sort of combing through right. my experiences. And I think that's... What's been beneficial about this time is that all of us have had the time and the awareness to start doing that. Um, but off the top of my head, where that really started to happen for me was in college. Um, because, and I think we've, we've had many, because of all the discussions in various BFA programs about this, it's... It's when we learned but didn't officially learn that musical theater is a very white space. Mm -hmm. And so you can look through BFA programs across the country where it's like you have a class that's majority white and then you have the like token black performer and the token Asian performer. If it's an Asian performer, if it's not a Latin performer, like... Mm. And then the rest of us, 
and maybe you have one or one or two of each, but then the mm-hmm. rest are white, and those students are then placed in those subcategories that are afforded to white performers that are not afforded to BIPOC performers in terms right. of like, oh, well, you're the ingenue. Oh, well, you're the character actor. Oh, well, you're the... Where it's like, oh, but you're the Asian performer. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Again, not said out loud, but it's what... Implied. We, yeah, it's what we like come to learn mm-hmm. without learning it, if that makes yes. sense. I mm-hmm. literally... Um, on a previous episode, I said that I wasn't aware of my otherness until I got to college as a performer. Because, mm-hmm. like, in children's theater and high school theater, you're just playing. There's so few people, depending on what kind of program you have in your high schools or your middle schools, that, like, mm-hmm. they're just throwing. Can you sing the notes? Okay, you can do the show. It doesn't matter. Um, so there was a lot more freedom. It's so interesting because, yeah, because that's when, because they're picking their shows for their student body and Mm -hmm. that's again it's so interesting to think about what lessons are learned without being taught and it's the shows are the shows and and I think this has been sort of a double-edged sword for me as a performer as I've continued is that my eye I remember like in my 20s I would go to see shows and I was actually just talking about this with someone I would go to see shows and if there was a brown person, if there was a brown male on stage, I'd be like, okay, cool. That means I could do this show. Like, mm. I remember the first time I joking, I say it like sort of as a joke, but I remember the first time that I, I refer to this experience as like, quote unquote, when I learned about type for the first time, like as a joke and in a humorous way. But I remember watching Hairspray for the first time. Mm. And Hairspray was a show that I like loved deeply and i think this was it opened in what like 2003 or something 2002 early and i so i think i saw a tour first and Mm. i loved it and i remember during the bows or during the finale cheering and screaming and being like i love this show and then split second like in my head i was like i will never be in the show Nor should I be, but I literally was like, oh, I don't get to do anything that I want. Like, oh, I can't do whatever I want because this meaning my skin tone matters Mm -hmm. in storytelling. And I think it's a, it should (laughs) in, in many, 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 many ways. But it's that, it's when I started realizing that like, okay, not everything's for me. Mm. And, um... And then carrying that into sort of the microaggressions that exist in the business that are not even meant maliciously. It's Mm -hmm. just like when you pick a show, I'm like, I remember one of the last shows that my college was doing before I left school was The Mystery of Edwin Drood. Mm. And The Mystery of Edwin Drood is a theater troupe. Like Like the conceit of the show is a theater troupe. But there are two roles in that show. I think Neville and, oh gosh, I don't remember, his sister. His sister's, I forget the role. Um, they are Indian. And and again, they are not, they don't need to be in the conceit of, again, all theater. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's a theater troupe, 
the characters that these characters are playing mm. are Indian. Right. But I remember going to that breakdown and being like, okay, so if I want to be cast in this show, that's my role. Mm-hmm. I'm not Indian. So I spent all of di- like dialect class that that year, like working on an Indian accent. Mm-hmm. And I was just, and in hindsight, I'm like, why didn't I like think that I could do any of the other roles? Because frankly, the other roles would have been just as great. <laughs> like, and they, but so whether that was placed on myself or whether the school placed that on me or a mixture of both, right. those were not available to me. And the only one that was available to me that I knew whether I interpreted that as I had a leg up on that role or whether, or for whatever, like Mm -hmm. that was the only role available to me. Right. And it's the school, like the professors, as well as like peers, you know, like people suggesting things to you. It's not even just like it's ingrained in our direct education that we're paying for. It's also all of the side effects that come with that education. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's almost like the messages that schooling gives as like, oh, you're a singer. Oh, you're a dancer. Oh, you're an actor. Carries our ethnicity then becomes an extension of that. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, because musical theater is a predominantly white space, who we are in our ethnicity becomes a marketable quality mm. instead of who we are and just a trait that we're about. Like, and I remember like, I mean, I'm just saying this out loud right now, but I remember like for the majority, like I, I will be one of the first to say, like I have used that marketable quality in my career. And it's, it's an interesting subject to sort of parlay because I've been very blessed in my career in like I've been very fortunate very blessed in my career in some instances my ethnicity has been a hindrance in another in other instances my ethnicity has been a benefit and that's where it gets so nuanced Mm -hmm. because and I and, and and again like like with this time it only in this time of reflection, we're able to sort of sort of suss out what all of that really is in our heads mm-hmm. because there is damage there because I've there's a there there's a there's an internal casting that happens where you're like, oh, I'm right for that, oh I'm not right for that, oh I'm right for that, oh I'm not right for that. And it's a and yeah, I mean it and it's informed by so much that's really messed up (laughs) yeah and that's exactly where i was going next because i was saying there's sometimes there's the pressure to play the stereotype um i was talking to somebody else about you have to like find the middle ground between um playing into that type that you know you can play into because at the end of the day like you have to work you have to make money we're in this career like there's only so many roles but then also Mm -hmm. finding that middle ground between that and then like going out for roles that you just want to do, even if you think that they may not assume that you could do it just looking at you, you know, like trying to find that middle ground of which roles do I go out for that I know I can play, that I know the casting team will think I can play, and which ones Mm -hmm. do I go out for that just like speak to me, ones that I just want to try, even if it may not work out. Well, 
and it's interesting too because it's like who was i speaking to about this i was talking i was talking to one of my friend earlier and again with my very blessed career i've been that i've been very fortunate to have it's wonderful to know that representation is now growing because i was talking to one of my friends who who's also filipino and we were just sort of hypothesizing about wow there's so many more now and there's so many more there's so many more of us now and there's so many more dancers when i feel like when we were growing up there were less of us in this field and i wonder why that is and i was like well what's interesting about that i feel like our generation has a lot more singers and again all of this was just speculative and we were just like shooting the shit but we were just like, oh, but when we were growing up, all we had was Leia Salonga, mm. who is the in our in the field the like one of the most famous, if not the famousest, like <laughs> Filipino like Filipino actress. And I'm just like, if we all looked up to her, mm-hmm. who is a like phenomenal, a phenomenal actress and singer then that's what we wanted to emulate. Right. And so therefore our entire generation is full of singers. Mm-hmm. Now, because if you don't see yourself, you're not going to try to do it. Right. <laughs> but, and now luckily with the sort of like advent of all of the rest of us, now there are more, the representation is larger. So therefore more people think they belong right and can strive to belong in the field that we didn't that didn't that we didn't belong in before right and does that affect you um is that something that's con- like cognizantly running through your mind as you're auditioning for these roles in the fact that I might be playing into a token I might be playing a stereotype but like one kid seeing me like one kid seeing me like as Finch and Newsies will be like, oh, that means I could do that too if I wanted to. Like, I, there's a space for me to dance in this show. There's a space for me to sing in this show. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, because like for, like for Newsies, it was, I mean, because I remember watching like the Asian Newsie in the movie. <laughs> and that's what I was <laughs> like, oh, cool. And then, I mean, I loved that movie regardless. Like, it was one of my favorite movies. It made me do this when I was, um coming up and so yeah and i and i remember like a a lot of different like stage door experiences where people like a lot of filipinos would be like hey there's one of me up there and therefore there's a place for me as well which has been great what was what's interesting and this is where it gets really like messed up in my own head is with a show like Hamilton, like the show that I ju- that I'm doing currently, mm-hmm. where it's so funny that the almost opposite of, because of all of these lessons and all of these like things, I never thought that I would do the show because what's mm-hmm. fascinating about this is because I saw the show initially with because a bunch of them were my friends and whatever 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 and I knew that the track that was best for my skill set 
was Man 2, the track that I'm doing now. Man 2 is Thane mm-hmm. Jasperson, and he plays Farmer and he plays Samuel Seabury, who mm-hmm. sings Farmer Refuted. And because it was my white friend doing the role, and that was the original, A, knowing how this business works, assuming mm-hmm. that they would never have the creativity to like look outside that box. I then did all this math in my head where I was like, oh, well, okay. I mean, it makes sense that he's, that this is the white track and this should always be the white track because he's a sympathizer with the king. And it be, if the king's always white, then this, 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 like, this role should also be white because that makes sense storytelling wise. Mm-hmm. And I did all this math to like rationalize it that, okay, even though I'm right for that role, it's never going to go to me because it shouldn't quote unquote Mm. shouldn't right and this is me talking this is not anybody else saying this to me this is this is all in your head luckily i was wrong and they offered me this track and i'm just like (laughs) cool no take backs but (laughs) this was (laughs) like it's an interesting again so what, what i'm saying is like the the products of these lessons get internalized and right start to get in your own way if i really like dug into that like hamilton would have called and be like oh no i'm not i'm not right for any of that hello like Mm. what other show would be right for us if not that show right but like (laughs) yeah this is these are the these are the like the self-sabotage that we can sort of get into um right which is insane (laughs) which is (laughs) It is, I feel like it, I veered away from the. I feel like, like I veered away from the original question. <laughs> no, you completely answered the first question. Uh, that, but that also because I the next question I was going to bring up is um, what can allies do? But also, I think before we get into that, what you were just talking about is there is there's a in a, a great unlearning that sure. BIPOC artists have to do for themselves as well because this is stuff that not only has been imposed upon us, but we've gotten to a point where we've used it as our own form of reason. And it's in our, it's ingrained so deeply in us now that we could tell other fellow BIPOC performers, oh, you can't do that because this, that, and Mm. the other. Like, not only do, um, like, our white artists um, have to work on creating spaces that everyone feels safe, but we also have to do the work of unlearning all the things that we've been taught since oh for sure absolutely and that's what's it's fascinating too because i was i'm trying to think yeah because i I came onto the scene like mid 2000s and so i've been here for a while and that is an interesting spot to be because i feel like the generation in the middle if -hmm. that makes sense where we figure we figured out the system and how to operate in the system that was very non-benefiting if that's even a, <laughs> if that's mm-hmm. even a, if that's even a phrase we we learned how to navigate this system that did not benefit us mm-hmm. and learned how to float and now we're embarking on this new system that we understand is better for everyone. 
but we're stuck with these lessons from the last system. Right. <laughs> and it's and it, and it, and it's one of those things that I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, how how do I how do I unlearn all of this because it was da- like because it had its levels of damage anyway. Like mm-hmm. but this is where I found like th- this is this is where I grew up in and this is Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting because I also I remember one of my friends, Asmaret, uh Gabriel McKell. She wrote an article a few months ago. Um, about how she navigated in this business, about being the token and almost taking pride in being the token. Mm-hmm. Because and I was like, this resonates a lot and. What do you do when you like realize that you took pride in something that should never have been? Because mm. not make only sense? were you playing, yes, because not only were you playing the game, but in your head you were winning the game. Yeah, you were playing this game, and you were benefiting in the ways that you envisioned yourself benefiting from it. And so, because of that, it's like, how do I? I know this new game is better. I know the rules are better for everyone, but. No matter how damaging that old game was, I was thriving in it. I was winning. I was getting what I needed to do in that game. So yeah. trying to like know that like in your head, it's probably like this feels better, but also like you were successful. Like, so like, how does it, why does it matter how you felt about it? No, I mean, and, and, and that's what's so interesting too, because it's also like, there's no like regret of the old system because it was mm-hmm. poor and all I want is an abundance for the community that I'm in and that's and right. so it's 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 so it's such like a I feel like nuance has been the word of like 2020 <laughs> <laughs> because everything is nuanced everywhere playing that old game is that if there weren't people like you who played that old game and like survived in it like if everyone who realized it was messed up just quit then right now we wouldn't even be having these discussions that we're having now because Broadway would just be all white you know like yes if there weren't the people to fight through those obstacles Mm -hmm. and to continue to push forward no matter how um pigeonholed and no matter how tightly knit all of that was yeah um then there'd be nobody to watch in this like there'd be nobody for the audience to look at and be like, oh, I could do that. If this person can do that, I can do that. There'd be for no sure. one oh, for sure. to bite through that. Well, that was so interesting about because in that article, Asmaret talks about someone she, a younger performer that she was um, speaking to where that younger performer never had those experiences of being the token, of feeling mm. whatever. And she, and in the article, she was like, well, like something to the extent of, well, I walked so you could run. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because knowing in a in a later interview somewhere else, we found out that like that younger performer was Sasha Hutchings. And knowing mm-hmm. both of them, I'm just like, oh, that's a fascinating relationship. And not to like speak of <laughs> like <laughs> just as a spectator of that interaction. Mm-hmm. It's 
It's such an interesting world to navigate. And I feel like I'm saying nothing by even saying that. But it's, it's, there are so many things that, I lost the prompt. (laughs) 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 No, it's okay. We were talking about basically like understanding that like the old game had to be played for us to get to this point, you know, like sure. We had to go through the bad to understand what could be good. Yeah. I mean, and again, like things aren't, it's like when I was watching, have we, have, have you seen the movie Crazy Rich Asians? Yes. It's that movie. It's one of those movies where, I mean, and again, this is just becoming a big conversation about representation, but it's like, you don't know what you're missing until you see it and you're like shown it that you're like, oh, I remember talking to one of my, actually one of my old professors, um, a white professor, and she was talking about how she didn't understand why... Crazy Rich Asians was such a big deal because she watched it and it was, it was a fine movie. And I was like, yeah, it is a fine movie. The it, it, As a romantic comedy, the movie is fine. Like the movie is a great romantic comedy because the genre is an innately fine genre. Like right. no brilliance <laughs> is going to come out of romantic comedies. Romantic comedy fans can come for me for that. But, (laughs) like, but I was just like, but the statement behind the movie is what makes it a brilliant Mm -hmm. movie. And I was just like, as an Asian American, watching this movie that is generally made by, like, Jennifer Jennifer Aniston and Drew Barrymore. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a genre reserved for white people. This is... A type of movie and therefore a type of love that I didn't think was available to me. Right. And when I watch it on screen, like, it's decadent, it's beautiful, and Constance Wu is just sitting in the aisle, like, looking at the person she loves, like, amidst a river in a church, and yet I'm crying. Because, mm-hmm. and and that's when I was just like, oh, this is what these... This is the feeling this movie is supposed to evoke. That's th- this mm-hmm. is the feeling this genre is supposed to evoke. I've never felt that because I don't see this isn't available to me because I never mm-hmm. understood that this is available to me because right. I don't see me here. And I think right. And again, like it's just it's it's tough because yes, we needed and we still and we do need the old game but it's an almost it's when that old game becomes almost embarrassing mm. that's what's the difficult thing about it is because you're like at the end of the day we needed long duck dong and yet like we look back at that character trope and be like that's horrible why was this ever allowed in a movie right and that's sort of and you think and it and it and it's like trauma inducing and and like crisis causing where you're like did we need it do did we need it i may probably should mm. we have needed it no right. but this is this is the world we lived in 
and this is the world we still do live in. So mm-hmm. it's figuring out the balance of the blue skies we want and the hell the orange sky we're currently living in. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it yeah, and it's 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 hard because yeah, at the end of the day like my Broadway debut was Bombay Dreams. Mm. Theoretically should be a stage full of Indians. Am I Indian? No. In hindsight, should I have been in that show? Absolutely not. Would I be where I am today if I wasn't in that show? Also arguably not. Right. So it's sort of it's 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 a hard tension to manage. Like it's also it's also that aspect of with this world changing. Like I remember with this recent production of West Side Story, everyone was like, are you auditioning for West Side Story? Should you, are you auditioning for West Side Story? I was like, no. And I shouldn't be because I'm Filipino. And that show needs Latinx people. Like ideally Puerto Ricans. But again, mm-hmm. we're living in... This is the world we got. So like... <laughs> but whereas in like 2000, late 2000s when the last revival was... I was itching to be a shark. The world changes, we change with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, but it's that like reckoning with our past that can get really difficult. Right. I feel like I got somewhere, finally. <laughs> <laughs> you got to a lot of places. <clears throat> there were a lot of points being said. Uh-huh. It was great. Um, last question before we go. I do not want to take up all your time today. You can um, take up however time you what you want. <laughs> you need um, something cuttable to cut around my dog, like <laughs> sneezing um, over here. Thinking back on everything that you've experienced in your career and all the things you've gone through, what would be something you would tell a younger version of you, or just a younger Filipino boy who's entering this industry, who's scared, who doesn't know what he's doing, like? What would you tell yourself as you're preparing to enter this industry? Wow, I didn't really think that I would struggle this much in thinking of something to say. Because there's all like the basic like talkbacky stuff where you're just like, never stop mm-hmm. learning, da 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 like garbage. Mm-hmm. Not garbage, <laughs> never stop learning, but... Like, I know what you mean. That's the stuff you say, but... If I were to actually, like, instill an idea into a younger version of me, not young me, but someone else that I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. you can do better than, you can strive to do more and you can strive to do better, is do your best to be proud of yourself in everything you do. Yeah. Because you can, what's tough is, <laughs> this was actually just a sermon at my church recently, <laughs> um, <laughs> the idea of good versus perfect mm. is difficult to manage because perfect perfection is something very valued in our culture and definitely in our industry. And it's so damaging. Because the nuance of perfection 
if you don't achieve it, it doesn't say what you were doing wasn't good enough. It says you are not good enough. Mm. And that's something that can be very internalized. And so striving for something different, like not striving to be perfect, not striving to be like striving to be good, striving to be better, striving to be excellent is different because that allows for failure and that allows for growth. And then you can continue because you can, in the world of good, you can still be proud of failing. You can still be proud of working hard. You can still be proud of succeeding. In the world of perfect, there's no other option. Mm. Or else it's an indictment on yourself. And your, right. and it's yourself, like your heart, everything about you, not mm. what you're working on, not the product of whatever. Yeah. And so, and it's a hard thing to internalize because perfect is so, like, perfect seems so aspirational that we forget that it's unattainable. Mm. And... Allow, allowing that like that level underneath that even that kind of language is garbage like allowing for something different mm. will allow you to keep joy in this and allow you to keep growing in this and allow you to succeed in this and be happy with who you are at the end of the road mm. did that make sense Yes, that made complete sense. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Aaron, this was so cool. You are so amazing and wonderful and insightful. Um, Before we go, tell the people, where can they find you on social media? What projects? Where can they find you anywhere on the interwebs? Oh, sure. I mean, I'm at Aaron J. Albano um, at, I think on Twitter and on Instagram that's pretty much it. That's that. <laughs> I don't do anything else. I'm boring. Um, <laughs> Great. Thank uh-huh. you so much, Eric. Of course. Thanks for having me. You just listened to another episode of Fourth Wall, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like this podcast, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Why not? Also, follow us on Instagram at this is fourth wall. And if you have any questions, ideas for new episodes, thoughts, or you want to submit a letter that we can read aloud on the show, send us an email at hello at fourthwallpod.com. That's fourthwallpodpod.com. Hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye.